when you know how hard it is to build a complicated roof, you tend to start designing roofs that look attractive, but maybe aren't quite as complicated so that the affordability aspect of the house is there. Um, You're building in the value engineering Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the process instead of designing the house and having it valued engineered after it's done. Welcome to Pro Tradecraft's Career Toolbox. I'm Fernando Pajes, and I'm here to help you turn your day job into a career. Not all construction careers end in construction. Some veer off into related fields such as insurance adjusting, building inspections, and even drafting. Today, we will explore one avenue that takes what you learn on the job site and applies it to the drawing board. Steve Mickley represents the American Institute of Building Design, or AIBD, an organization that provides training and certification for professional draftspeople. Until AIBD, the organization Steve represents, the designers without membership were a scattered group, some very capable of creating beautiful homes. Steve's organization united them, providing professional recognition through a national certification, recognized by building and safety in many municipalities. As a successful designer, I want to know how Steve went from the job site to the drafting table, and how the experience of working in construction informs his architectural practice. Well, hello, Steve, and welcome to the Pro Tradecraft Career Toolbox. How are you today? Wonderful. Thanks, Fernando, for the invitation. Steve, the reason I invited you today was to learn about something you said to me at this year's American Institute of Building Design Conference in Houston. More about that later, by the way. Namely, that in your practice as a building designer, and you are a professional building designer, you prefer to train lumber-humping, nail-back cowboys and cowgirls over hiring effete design school graduates. Why? Well, first of all, um, primarily I I worked in the South, so uh, it was easy, especially in the summertime, to convince people to come out of the heat and work in an air-conditioned office. Uh, so the sales pitch was was very easy, at least to get their attention. But the other reason is, is that a lot of times the schools these days are, it seems as though they're teaching a lot of theory, they're teaching you know some concept. The strokes are getting so broad that when it comes to hiring someone to put together a set of construction drawings, that level of instruction just doesn't seem to happen yet until they get into the field. By getting somebody that's already been out in the field, they understand how a building goes together. They've been working with the pieces that we're going to display visually in a set of drawings. It's easier to teach them to use the software, in my opinion, than it is to teach them how to build a house. So that wealth of knowledge of being able to put something together and then me being able to teach them how to communicate that visually seems to work more smoothly for me anyways. Maybe it's my teaching techniques. Uh, I used to be a carpenter. That's how I started first is uh, a building. And then in the uh, 1990s, decided that design was the the part of the process that I had the most passion for, especially seeing the software I used. Uh, Back in the 90s, I started using uh, SoftPlan, and it was, I think it was version 9 at the time, so it had been around for quite a while, and it was 3D software, uh, what we call now BIM, Building Information Modeling. At any rate, uh, by putting things together, 
the way the software works, SoftPlan, it, it was putting the entities. You would, you would actually put the wall in place, and then you would put openings in the wall, and it's still that way. And there's a number of other softwares that worked identical as well. So it wasn't that this was that special, but it thought like a builder. And it wasn't at the time taught very widely in high schools or or trade schools. I think now soft plans may be in 100 different schools nationwide, which is still probably just breaking the surface. But because of the way the software worked, you know, you would you would get your walls placed and then you would put a roof on it and it was all done in 3D modeling. So for me, it was easy to teach somebody that already knew the concepts of building, you know, the load path and what a cripple was and what a stud was and, you know, a valley and rafter and, and so forth. And again, it was a great opportunity for someone to get out, out of the field, uh, especially in the summertime. And work in a more professional, well, I, I can't say the building sites aren't professional, but in a professional office as opposed to a, a construction site. Now, did you have any architectural uh, schooling yourself? I've never even taken a drafting class. You know, it was I was blessed with the ability to, to draw. My father was a builder. My grandfather was a builder. So I started out early on job sites, picking up trash and uh, watching the process being done, and then in my early teens, got the opportunity to start learning uh, the basics in, in carpentry. And my father uh, used to draw his own plans, and he wasn't really good at it, in my opinion, or at least he, you know, technically it was correct. And this was back when I was in my teens. The requirements for a set of drawings to get a permit really were basically a floor plan, possibly some electrical on the floor plan, an elevation, and a wall section. Uh, now, those two or three pages have turned into like 15 or 20 pages as mm-hmm. far as the amount of detail uh, required to be able to show code compliance. So, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, a lot that I had to learn back then, but by watching him do it, and then I started by tracing over his drawings and just making alterations. He had like a basic mm-hmm. sales model that he had, and people would come and buy the sales model mm-hmm. and add a third car garage or a porch to the rear. And so I would just trace over the existing plans and then working out in the field on the weekends uh, allowed me the opportunity to learn how the pieces went together. Then I got uh, jobs working for other people and I would see how they would do it. One one of the, the greatest uh, mentors I had as far as for hand sketching, his name is uh, Spencer Gulliger, uh, architect that had an office in Palm Beach. He hired me and I would sit and watch him hand sketch and I thought, you know what, I could do that. And so early in my career, I just developed this ability to uh, draw freehand uh, the elevations and the floor plans. And with the technology we had with CAD, uh, it made it easy because then I could scan it and uh, one of the CAD techs would be able to put that, that sketch in the background and, and use the software to draw over top of it and lay out the walls of the doors and so you, forth. You would like trace it with the software essentially. Exactly. You do what yeah. you're doing, yeah. And to this day, I still use that same process. I, I still do all my original draw or my my th- my first ideas are all done hand sketching. So you're you're a real example of what you teach uh, in terms of taking somebody who's experienced at the job site and turning them into a designer. But what I'd like to understand is more to it than just knowing the the you know the building parts, and that is the part that they teach in college with the aesthetic aspect. So how does knowledge of how buildings go together? inform your trainees in a way that helps make them, you know, be able to draw fanciful facades or hardworking kitchens, the kind of stuff that consumers want. 
Well, from the aspect of the building sciences, you know, being able to uh, show the section of the building, it's much easier because they, they understand that the studs have top plates and bottom plates and how the rafters set on top of the wall. So communicating that is much easier for them because they understand what the inside of, of the walls and the roof and the ceilings look like. Um, but as far as the, um, the design aspects of it. Um, the wow factor. The wow, the wow factor, factor it, yeah, it, uh, putting the, the set of construction drawings together was the first step for me. And I guess basically the first step for someone that would come to work for me is that, you know, one person would be put on floor, uh, floor plans, let's say, or another person on foundations. And that's what they would focus on until they mastered that. And then they would work on roofs or it would be somebody didn't show up that day and they had to, you know, they were forced to start learning roofs. Um, but we would focus and, and kind of, uh, you know, you would master the, the technology and you would master the technical aspect, you know, what the tie downs are and how to determine which tie down to use. And in, in my world, um, which was mostly working in production homes, uh, having been a builder and coming up uh, uh, through the industry as a builder, it was easy for me to sell my service to other builders. And, um, and I think that somebody coming from the field, when you know how hard it is to build a complicated roof, you tend to start designing roofs that look attractive, but maybe aren't quite as complicated so that the affordability aspect of the house is there. Um, you're building in the value engineering mm-hmm. in the beginning of the process instead of designing the house and having it valued engineered after it's done. So there are some uh, some benefits in terms of that practical experience uh, limiting uh, what the, a lot of times in the field they say you can draw lines on a piece of paper. It's another thing to make them so. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you're talking about roofs or uh, wall panels. If you know how big the materials are and you realize, hey, if we just made this wall four inches bigger or three inches smaller, the plywood's going to fit perfectly and there's not going to be any waste. Or, you know, if we redesign the roof to where we just shifted over uh, 12 inches, now we've eliminated a girder. You know, those kind of things is something that would take someone years, I think, to learn, having just learned drafting, let's say, and Mm -hmm. come into the field designing houses, but didn't have any construction experience. So, but the wow factor then is, um, is what something, does that evolve in people or is it like you got the talent or you don't for that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot that part of the question. I'm more technically uh, minded. I had to really develop and I'm not sure I've really gotten there yet. I've won a couple of awards. There's a lot of projects I've submitted for competitions that haven't gotten any recognition at all. What I think might be a wow factor just doesn't seem to get there with the judges. Uh, and it's funny, too, because there's always, when I'm asked this question, there's a, a quote from one of my friends who's a designer in Orlando uh, that's stuck with me now for probably two decades. He says, Steve, there's two types of houses you're going to design, the kind that you win awards for and the kind you make money on. And uh, so I've always been focused on making money and, and less on awards, I guess. But it still has to be proportionate. A lot of times you might have two houses, and you've probably seen this, Fernando, in a, in a community of, of new homes where there might be three or four houses with very similar floor plans. But one just feels more comfortable than the other, even though the living room's in the same place, the dining room's in the same place, and the kitchen's in the same place. And it has mm-hmm. a lot to do with the proportion of the room, maybe the colors, um, and the mm-hmm. ability to see out. One of the things that, 
that Sarah Suzanka, uh, architect and author, taught me when I met her and, and, and went through some of her training was is that people actually do go towards the light. And it's not about death. It's about like a hallway in your house and putting a window at the end instead of a closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tempting to use that space, but there's a lot of things you can do um, to improve the space that makes it more livable, more healthy, more like you want to come home every night and, and live in, in a resort and, and not necessarily spend a lot of money. And those are things that I had to learn along the way by meeting people like Sarah and uh, Marianne Cusado, um, Jim Collins, an architect in, in uh, North Carolina that's done some seminars. So having been involved in, in the AIBD, you know, they have uh, regular webinars, seminars, conferences where you and I had just recently been speaking in one at Houston. We do that four times a year. Right now, so we're you looking get, at- you get trained in the in the aesthetic aspects and in the kind of the architectural design aspects instead of doing it, you know, the formal way by going to school. You pick it up by reading and attending what just like you do. Uh, I don't know. Green building, for example, you go to conferences and you listen to green builders talk. There's tricks of the trade in every trade, including uh, including in architecture. Absolutely, and uh, and now with social media, it it may be even faster. You know, LinkedIn has groups that are specialized in architecture and, and home design. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook, um, so it's it's really. Um, up to you to reach out and say, hey, I, I, I really would like to learn this. Can anybody help me with this? Um, mm-hmm. What is your ideas on this? Um, you know, there's forums out there that you can actually post your drawings or your sketches. You just got to have a little bit of thick skin because uh, the, get the, criticized. In, yeah, the industry, <laughs> you know, has an opinion and they're going to yeah. give it to you. But yeah, especially um, architects, they can be cruel. <laughs> nah, so you, every, everybody can be. <laughs> so essentially, I didn't realize you were such a good example of exactly what you are promoting is it that you, you came out of the job site. You learned a little bit of drawing, basically tracing your dad's uh, standard plans and making some modifications on them. And uh, then from there, you got into uh, a little deeper into design, uh, knowing all the parts of a building. You were able to put together working drawings. Now, those construction drawings uh, were the easy part. Uh, The buildability was there. And uh, as you went on, uh, you got deeper into it like one does, and you began to uh, read some books and attend some seminars and talk to people and kind of get more and more into uh, the aesthetic aspects. What I'm wondering, though, in terms of, uh, I mean, probably the most daunting thing for a guy that would like to head in this direction, being in an air-conditioned office uh, during the course of the day, or maybe at his house, drawing on the computer, how difficult it is to actually pick up the drafting aspect, the architectural drafting? Do you have to spend like years learning perspective drawing? What's the path today? Gosh, you know what? Um, I know that there's a a number of schools, the technical uh, uh, schools are coming back. Thank goodness. Um, You know, it it took us having a a huge deficit of people in our field to get our educational system, I think, to realize they made a mistake by taking away some of these technical classes that used to be introduced in high school and into, you know, like two-year trade schools. So definitely find those. And a lot of this stuff can be done online. The type of skills we're talking about, some of it has to be done in a lab. A lot of it uh, requires that, that, that one-on-one uh, feedback right away, you know, the critiquing. Um, but a huge percentage of it can be learned online. 
um, and there's there's tons of stuff. There's YouTube videos. There's a lot of times now that when uh, when I forget the exact proportion of a certain column, you can look it up on YouTube. What's the proportions for a Doric column? Mm-hmm. And there's you know tons of videos of people that have shared the information with them. But when you purchase the CAD system or the BIM software, and in, in, in many cases now, the software companies themselves will teach you how to use it. Um, I don't know if it's all free. I'm sure a lot of it is free, but there may be some more advanced classes. SketchUp is a, uh, a modeling software that, that became very popular, probably because it was free for most of its lifetime. I think now they have a subscription model that's kind of tiered like most softwares. Uh, they have a conference every two years, I think it is, um, Basecamp, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's huge and fantastic. And, and not only are you able to sit there and learn about the software, but you're able to rub elbows with people that are using it. And at lunchtime, at breakfast, and all the different uh, networking events that, that these conferences have. It gives you the ability to learn tricks from other people, uh, very much like learning how to play a video game. So much there's like these cheat sheets that are available for video games. The same thing happens in our industry, and people are very open to share with you uh, shortcuts on how to how to use the software more rapidly, uh, how to set up your keyboard for certain commands, and mm-hmm. uh, just how to be more productive as a professional. Now, does a video game background help you with learning uh computer-aided design? You know, it might. I don't have a video game background. Um, you know, my experience goes back to like Atari mm. uh, back in those days. But Pac-Man. for me, yeah, for <laughs> me, it was it was very easy. I think maybe there's a, a logical mindset that I have mm-hmm. that I can, I can pick up just about any kind of software, whether it be word processing type software, accounting. The computers think very literally and so if you can kind of understand the literal process, then you can kind of figure out how it works. But, but I think some people, that comes more easily than others. Um, I, don't I would know. think it's common in construction because you have uh, people in construction, you know, usually have a knack for putting things together. Like, you know, the, the guy who does uh, building is often also the guy that can assemble the barbecue or the, the, or the furniture from Ikea pretty easily. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is, is that possibly that background in construction helps with that logical and, and being able to know math. I know I heard it one time. Uh, actually, I think I read it in the book uh, Made to Stick where um, somebody explained that the reason why we lift weights isn't because we're going to be out on the street somewhere and somebody's going to knock us down on the sidewalk and put a, bum, a, dar, a dumbbell on top of us and we have to press it off. Um, it's because we have to lift groceries or you know, change a tire and, and, and lift things. And the same thing with math. It's, it's not that, you know, we're going to become mathematicians or accountants or people that, that deal with math in, in our industry and in design. I think we do probably use math a lot more than other people, but math teaches you how to, t- how to think logically mm-hmm. and how to solve these, these kind of issues when it comes to, you know, why, why won't the roof come together? And it's always some form of mathematical problem that needs to be filled. Uh, especially when you can uh, geometry, uh, site planning, you're, you're dealing with trigonometry. Not that you have to be great in math. Or, or even that you have to know that you're actually dealing with trigonometry as I bet most guys that can do a side plan don't know that that's what they're doing. That's true, but you are. And, it, and it's really not that hard. It's um, uh, once you learn that, that logical process. But 
Steve, after you've gained some basic CAD or computer-aided design skills, what's next? How do you learn architecture? Through the process of, of learning how to, how to arrange things, not necessarily put it together from a building uh, construction sense, but how to arrange things from like you walk into a house and you're like, wow, I love the way they, they arrange their walls. Um, and that came from like a lot of home tours and mm-hmm. going to see other people's houses. Now you could probably do it online. There's a lot of uh, home tours where people are selling houses and you can do it through a video walkthrough. You know, open houses, you know, there's always one in the neighborhood every weekend. You can go in and, and walk around. There's actual architectural tours. There's historical uh, areas in your community that sometimes will have tours at Christmas time or during certain holidays. Um, getting involved in the local AIBD or a local AIA chapter. You know, they're always offering tours and uh, take pictures, take measurements, carry one of those little 32 inch uh, measuring tapes, you know, just a little small one you can keep in your pocket. I, I remember I was trying to figure out what was the minimum size that I could make a breakfast nook. And so I carried one of those little three foot tape measures with me mm-hmm. everywhere I went. And when I would sit down at the dining room table and get back up, I would measure how far the chair was away from the edge of the table. And mm-hmm. When I went out to eat, I would back up out of the chair and I would measure how far the chair was. And I figured out that, you know, you need about this much space to back your chair up. And then you add in the, the diameter of your table and a little bit of extra space. So you're not hitting the walls. And that's basically the size you want to be able to make a, a breakfast nook. And the same thing can be done with uh, the working areas in your kitchen, you know, visit a, a number of kitchens and say, oh, this feels really good. Or you'd be like, uh, this is crazy. I, I take something out of the oven. I've got to take four steps to, before I can set it down somewhere. You represent an organization uh, that you've mentioned before with its acronym AIBD, which is the American Institute of Building Design. Tell me about the process to qualify as a certified building designer that I have something I could hang in, you know, plaque I can hang in my office and tell people, hey, you can hire me. I know what I'm doing. How do you certify as a building designer with your organization? Well, the certification is based on six years of experience, and there's a, a formula that allows for education to be substituted for some of that experience as long as it's uh, education related to architecture or the engineering fields. And that's all based on a job analysis that our organization did that analyzed um, what it is that a building designer does on a daily basis, a weekly basis, monthly, annual basis to be able to produce the work that they do, which is very similar to an architectural firm, but on a much more limited basis because of the uh, architectural laws. Explain that a little bit, how the architectural laws work such that someone that does not have a degree in architecture or engineering can actually be a professional uh, building designer and uh, you know, advertise That's- as such and submit plans. That's correct. You don't have to be a licensed architect to participate in architecture, um, but you will be limited in the types of buildings that you can design. For example, um, most states will allow you only to build or design single-family homes, uh, possibly townhouses, because those are defined in the building code if they're arranged a certain way as single-family homes, duplexes. But some states, uh, you could do some small commercial buildings, restaurants, churches, 
um, mostly office buildings and um, maybe get into some small schools, you know, like the, the uh, kindergartens and stuff like that, uh, tra- uh, daycare centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be like Texas, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, those two states have some more liberal exemptions. And the architectural laws basically are, are written in a way that they say that, you know, everything is architecture and everybody has to be a licensed architect. But here's the types of buildings that you can design and not be a licensed architect. And they list out, uh, and it's different from state to state, uh, which types of buildings. And some of them are limited to capacity of people or uh, size by square footage or volume, let's say. Um, There's a number of different ways that that they might limit it. So like in Texas, you can't design every office building, but you can design office buildings up to 20,000 square feet and no more than two stories tall. Let's talk a little bit about the career path in the sense of, uh, you know, somebody who's not able to knock on your door and say, hey, Steve, I I heard you on the podcast at uh, Pro Tradecraft and I'd really like to become a building designer. Can you hire me? I've got six years of uh, construction experience. So not everybody has a mentor or that opportunity. So how realistic is a career in building design for someone, just anyone listening that doesn't have a mentor like you to guide them to go from construction site to drafting table and actually make a career out of it? What would you suggest they do today to get started? And how long do you think it'll take them? Draw us like kind of a map. Go to work for someone like like you just described, knock on the door, and you may have to knock on a lot of doors. Um, the surveys that we've done through the years has revealed that almost half of our industry works by themselves with no employees. So you're going to come across a lot of building designers that don't hire per se. And some that do hire, though, are working more from a virtual uh, environment than than actually having an office. Um, I know one building designer in Texas that has uh, people that he's working with in, in Mexico, and everybody kind of Skypes in. And uh, so everybody's visually able to see each other through uh, webcams. And if somebody sneezes, another person can say, God bless you. Um, but they're just not sitting in the same room together, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is kind of the extreme in the other direction. Uh, but don't necessarily focus on just architectural firms or building design firms. There may be some interior design firms and construction companies. Um, you know, if you approach a construction company and tell them that, that you've uh, you know, got experience in a certain CAD program, um, then that might be your opportunity and a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, rem- remodeling uh, companies might be a, a great opportunity because those projects tend to be more more um, condensed, smaller uh, mm-hmm. room additions, uh, bathroom remodels, kitchen remodels, something that's a smaller project. Um, I, you know, I had to kind of build up a rapport because, um, you know, I would go to a, a builder and say, here, I'd like to design this custom home for you. Um, but they might be a little skeptical because I didn't have that much experience yet. So it's it's kind of like in the beginning, you take on whatever jobs you can to mm-hmm. be able to gain the experience. But um, sure, nobody hires you to build their first to build your first house. <laughs> you typically have to build a lot of decks and and uh, and additions before you get uh, before you get the bigger jobs. Like, it it like, seems that way, yes. And then I finally got the one project that was like on the corner of one of the major intersections in in my town, and um, 
you know, I, I that was the thing that kind of like launched my career mm-hmm. um, because there was just so much traffic that went by. It turned out it was kind of a, a an interesting looking building. I didn't get any awards for it, but I made money on it and and it launched my career. But and I think the other reason why I, uh, our surveys show that fifty percent of our industry doesn't have employees, you, you got to look at that from another angle, and that's like so many people can have their own business working by themselves. Mm-hmm. In this industry, um, at that point there, what you're doing is not just approaching one builder and saying, hey, I'd like to uh, uh, work for you drawing house plans or additions, um, but I would like to um, approach you on the idea of maybe doing a, a design-build partnership. Um, a lot of times you can you can go in there and, and – what do they call it in, in literature? I think it's a, a ghost writer. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've done this for a number of builders where I would go in and approach somebody new in the remodeling business and say, Hey, I'd like to draw your plans for you. And we're going to put your, your, your company logo on it as if it's coming from you. And mm-hmm. I'm going to meet with your clients in your office. And really what it was, was I didn't have a place to meet them myself. I didn't have an office. So I needed an office. So mm-hmm. I would have six or seven contractors that I was working for, and I would just meet their clients in their office, which kind of helped them uh, keep their foot in the door with the client. Because so many times builders will get a client walk in, they go out to get the plans drawn for the project, and then the builder doesn't hear from them again. Sure. So, the architect uh, recommend, or oh, the draftsman recommends their friend that's in the business, and so uh, yeah, you lose a lot of uh, you lose a lot of business as a contractor that way. So that's interesting. So, so your suggestion is to get started in the in the business after you have some skills, if you you know you've trained yourself or taken some uh, uh, community college courses, et cetera. You got some basic drafting skills. You're beginning to feel comfortable drawing. The next thing may be to approach a design build firm. Uh, they're contractor friendly, of course, and they may hire you as a low level uh, draftsman or uh, approach some contractors that do not have in house design skills and are still, you know, doing napkin sketches of what the kitchen edition could look like. And you professionalize those uh, those drawings by by rendering them in CAD and and uh, uh, you're doing maybe small work, but you're actually doing work and in time. That work will lead to bigger projects, and eventually, maybe you become a designer uh, in your own right. Is that kind of the map? Thanks, Fernando. I couldn't have said it any better. Well, it's exactly what you said, just condensed. (laughs) But But as you're saying it, I'm I'm thinking to myself too that that um, you know when you when you're faced with a change in life um, or a new opportunity, there's kind of two methods that I've always said that you can approach it. One is the baseball method and the other is the Tarzan method. And the baseball method is, is that there's no way you're going to ever get to second base until you get your butt off of first. Mm -hmm. And so you just leave the field, open up your design firm and do it. Uh, You're going to submit some plans to the building department. It's going to look like the plan reviewer bled all over it. He's going to have so many red marks, Uh, but you're going to learn. You're going to say, oh, I did it wrong. This is the right way to do it. And some building uh, officials don't necessarily tell you the right way. They make you, they'll, they'll reference the code and let you research it and find the mm-hmm. right way to do it. But the other way is, is a Tarzan method where you don't let go of one vine until you got a firm hold on the other vine. And so 
working in the field, and I'm as you were uh, saying what I was saying back to me, I, I was thinking of uh, a mason that used to do all of our projects when I was growing up called uh, uh, Howard Miller. He's since passed away, but Howard Miller was the one that, that convinced me to get out of the field and start designing homes professionally. He was like, man, you're, you're in the wrong business. You need to put down your hammer and do this. And I was doing them both at the same time. I was, I was, you know, working in the field during the day. I would go home and draw plans at night. And uh, so kind of using that Tarzan method, and it, mm-hmm. it really took a recession. I, I became a builder um, in the early 90s. I had a, a project I was doing, and I had, I think, had three houses that were built, and none of them were selling. I was living in one of them and uh, just finally had to close the doors, file bankruptcy. And, and at that point, I, the next morning, I had a decision. What am I going to do next? And that's when I decided that home design was, was what I enjoyed the most out of the process. Sure is easier to scale down or wrap up a home design business, too, than a construction company, isn't it, when the time, kind of like we're living right now, <laughs> From a business aspect, maybe. I know, too, that in a construction project, sometimes you're dealing with subcontractors, homeowners, uh, building officials for six, eight, 10, 12 months, maybe, depending on the size of the project. Um, usually, depending on whether it's a remodeling project or a custom home, you may only be working on that one project three weeks to three months. Uh, so it's a lot smaller focus or shorter focus, and it allows you to be able to do more, more projects at once, possibly. Um, but for me, I kind of get bored easy. That's like, you know, I've, I'm trying to become a runner and I just did my first half marathon and I thought, you know, I'll never go that far because I just can't stay focused that long, you know, Hmm. (laughs) but it worked out. Speaking of which, I noticed that in your qualifications, uh, beyond, uh, being a, uh, uh, an amateur athlete, you are actually a championship skydiver. I suppose these are not a. I suppose these are not AIBD requirements. But tell me about it anyway. Uh, yeah. you set a world record. You set a world record at skydiving. What was it? It was. Uh, I made fifty-two skydives in in 11, 11 hours and fifteen minutes. I think it was, and I packed the parachute myself each time. So I, I you know, fifty-two skydives, fifty-two parachute packs. I could pack the parachute in three minutes and forty-five seconds, and it would open the next time, believe it or not. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was in my, uh, you know, my young days, I was a carpenter then and and just starting out my business. Um, I met my wife and she pretty much put an end to my skydiving days. But, uh, after 33 years, I thought maybe she would be fed up with me by now and encourage it again. Encourage you to jump out of the plane. (laughs) But so I suppose that's also what allow you to make a, a change in your career like that. Your your skydiving background allowed you to take the leap. Well, there that's a good analogy. But yes, uh, once you've jumped out of an airplane successfully, you know, it kind of gives you a feeling that there's nothing in life that you can't accomplish. Uh, but you don't have to jump out of a plane to get that feeling. I mean, it could be uh, uh, you know soccer playing uh, you know on a soccer league or a bowling league. I mean, it, it could be just setting any kind of goal, uh, whether it be sports or, um, you know, technology related, uh, just accomplishing goals makes you feel good about yourself. And, uh, once you do, it makes you feel like setting another goal and, and reaching higher the next time. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your experience and telling us a little bit about the uh, American uh, Institute of Building uh, Design. 
I suppose if you just Google AIBD or American Institute of Building Design, you can find your organization and uh, but there's a lot of information there for anyone that would like to pursue it. Absolutely. I'm Googleable, um, AIBD.org, and all the phone numbers and email addresses are there. So reach out if there's anything I can do to help. Um, our goal is to build a better residential design profession, and we want to do it one designer at a time. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Steve. We'll talk to you soon again. Thank you, Fernando. I've enjoyed it. Career Toolbox is a production of SGC Horizon Media Network. I'm your host, Fernando Pajes, and the show is produced by Dan Morrison.